Thank you for that. Uh, Psalm 27 this evening, please. Psalm 27. My plan had been to preach Psalm 24 on Christmas Day and Psalm 27 on New Year's Day, and then we didn't have an evening service on Christmas Day. And so I guess I'll leave it to you to figure out whether I'm lazy. Uh, But I don't really think it's that. Um, I made mention of the fact that I wanted to spend more time in the Psalms, and the Psalms are always uh, an enjoyment to God's people. Let's go ahead and stand, please, and we will read the entirety of the psalm together tonight. A psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked... Even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation." When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord shall take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And let's pray. Father, thank you always for your words to us, and thank you for the Psalms, and for those you used to write them. Thank you for the encouragement that they are and the instruction that they give. My prayer is this evening that your word would minister to the hearts of your people. I pray this for us in Christ's name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. It's not uncommon when we come to the Psalms to want to know who wrote them, which in this case is very simple. 
because Psalm of David is part of the inspired text, and why they wrote them. What is going on in the life of the psalmist that they would write this psalm at this time? That is a little more difficult in the case of Psalm 27. I think that this psalm is written later in David's life. I think that it is written with the perspective of experience. It is written with the view of someone who has had a lot of years to live. I think David is reflecting upon the past and dealing with a problem in the present. In other words, David is living much as we live. There are a couple of places, and we'll note them as we go, in which David is perhaps speaking rhetorically, or maybe he has something else in mind, and we'll try and get to that. Just as Psalm 22, 23, and 24 fit together, Psalm 26, 27, and 28 fit together. And in Psalm 26, 27, and 28, the unifying feature is God's tabernacle. And the viewpoint of the psalmist is of God as our sanctuary. David, of course, spent a large part of his life, or some of his life, and a large part of his wealth accumulating the items that would build the temple. But David did not live to see the temple. David's orientation was the same as that of Moses. If he wanted to go to where God was, he went to the tabernacle. And that is the way that he is referring there. Even in the use of the word temple, which is a translation and not David's description of the physical building that his son Solomon would construct. Of course, we love the Psalms and many people in particular love David. And they find a tremendous amount of encouragement and inspiration, not in the verbal inspiration sense of the word, but in the inspiration sense of the word of comforting and encouraging them. But it's worth noting, folks, that one of the reasons David is able to comfort us with the Psalms is that, in a very real sense, David's life is one never-ending string of trouble. David did not live a life of earthly comfort and ease. When we first encounter him, he is a teenage boy, the baby of the family, but a young man who is full of faith, and therefore willing to go after Goliath. And upon that successful victory, he is brought into the house of Saul, 
where his troubles soon begin. His time living in the household of the king is not without its perils. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 through 31, revolve mostly around the fact that Saul is very jealous of David. And from his position of jealousy is determined to have him killed. Imagine if what really constituted your life between the ages of 17 and about 30 was just wondering every day if the person who was trying to kill you would be successful. That is not a big stretch of how David lived a good part of his life. And ultimately, Saul is killed. But that does not end David's problems because David then finds himself immediately embroiled in a very lengthy civil war. And even though God had promised him the kingdom and promised that he would be the king, it is not just one glorious coronation and many years of peace and prosperity. And this is what occupies David's life in 1 Samuel 31 through 2 Samuel 4. The long war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And ultimately successful in that war, David turns his attention to a lengthy series of wars against God's enemies. And he was victorious in all the battles. But all of the battles had to be fought. And that's what occupies most of 2 Samuel 5-10. through 10, Is the blood that David is shedding as he is waging war against God's enemies. Finally, somewhere in the vicinity of age 50, he has secured the crown conquered the house of Saul, subdued all of God's enemies, and committed an atrocity with Bathsheba. And that is 2 Samuel 11-14. through And as part of God's judgment upon David for the sin that he committed, 2 Samuel 15-20 through described David's second civil war. A man who experienced two civil wars. One against his former mentor, King Saul, and one against his son, Absalom. And yet the story of David's troubles don't end there because there is a three-year famine that he has to lead the country through that is caused directly by Saul and his misdeeds. Nothing that David did. And yet the responsibility of it falls in David's lap. More blood is shed. And then David in a moment of, we just don't even know how to explain it, angers God by taking a census and 70,000 more people, citizens of the kingdom, die. This is 2 Samuel 21 through 24. The 
the, the passages in which David lives in tranquility and harmony and ease are very few. David's life is a very troubled life. And even at the end of his life, folks, this great man who has God's favor and God's promises dies really a very inglorious death. It would seem only fitting that David would die a hero's death, the last man killed in the last battle to be fought. But instead he dies a shriveled up 70 year old man who cannot get warm even when his blanket is a pretty young girl. So when we come to something like Psalm 27 or any of the Psalms of David, I'd suggest to you that one of the reasons we love them so much is because they are not written in the form of a textbook. They are written testimonies. The experiences of a man who knows what God can do because God has done it for him. And this psalm then, I think, wouldn't fight over it, but I think is written later in his life, perhaps, but I don't know, perhaps, around the time of Absalom's rebellion, or after. And in it, David is contemplating God as his sanctuary. There are, I think, three stanzas to the psalm. Each of them having a different dimension to the sanctuary of God. The first is verses 1 through 6. In which David sings that God is his sanctuary because he is the source of his safety. One of the things that is a little bit different about Psalm 27 is that it begins with a testimony of deliverance. Many of David's psalms begin by David talking about his problems. Crying out to the Lord for help. But this psalm begins with a celebration of God's deliverance. And I think that this is a little bit of a historical reflection. One of the reasons I think that it was written later in his life, that he could look back over the events of his life and see the hand of God having worked in his behalf. David is a man who has had a lot of enemies. Saul and Saul's associates, the Philistines, sometimes the Moabites, sometimes members of his own household. Many enemies, but God has delivered him from them all. Verses 1-3, through three, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, <clears throat> even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. 
The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. In what shall he be confident? In verse number one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Who has delivered him? And I think, by the way, folks, and again, I couldn't prove this, but I think when David here is talking about God being his light, it's not God is my light in the information sense of the word. That's true. We see that often in Psalm 119. But I think you should think of it, if I can put it this way, in verse number one, in kind of the nightlight sense of the word. God is his light in a dark place. God helps him to not be afraid of the darkness that his enemies bring. God is the one who rescues me. And what David wants then, in verses 4 through 6, are God himself. Since God is his strength, and God is his light. What David wants is God. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And again, to to David, this is the tabernacle. This is not some palace that a king would have with a glorious throne. Not some mansion over the hilltop but a tent made out of animal skins. This is, where do you want, David? I want to be where God is. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. And I just want to make a note of that word. There's nothing wrong with the word, it's, but it's a translation. In Psalm chapter 10 and verse number 9, the same Hebrew word is translated den, as in the lion's den. And it's actually a word that refers to kind of a nest or a thicket or a cave. Not this beautiful, spectacular, religious edifice all decked out in gold, but the place where God lives, the place where God is. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted above my enemies round about. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. David views God as his sanctuary. He is the one who keeps him safe. And again, David can look back over the course of his life. That would be my understanding of the perspective. And and all of those things, folks, we have to remember when we're reading all of those fascinating narrative stories that these are involving real human beings. David was a man of faith, but he nevertheless had to charge at Goliath, and he nevertheless risked his life. And David went to battle against the Philistines. And David fought against the house of Saul. 
David was a real warrior. These, these weren't play weapons that he carried. They were well used. And all the time, the possibility was that he could die. The possibility was that he could be seriously wounded. The possibility was that he could go, God promised to protect me over here, but what I'm doing really doesn't fall into the realm of protection, and God may not protect me over here. And as he looks back, God is the one who kept him safe. God is his sanctuary, his safe place. So that he may behold the beauty of the Lord. He wants to be where the Lord is, to look at the beauty of the Lord. Second stanza is verses 7 through 12. And here there is a little more present tense to David's words. Verses 1 through 6 are a bit of a historical reflection. My enemies came after me, they wanted to eat me up, but God delivered me. But we all know this, folks. Yesterday's triumphs are yesterday's triumphs. Today's battles still must be fought. And in this, in this stanza, David views God as his sanctuary because he is his savior. And I don't simply mean in the spiritual sense of the word. But he is looking to God for his salvation. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Which again, leads, us to, leads me to believe that there's a present tense going on here. If God has delivered him from all of his enemies in verses 1 through 6, what could cause him to cry in verse number 7? Have mercy also upon me and answer me. And this is, by the way, one of the reasons that I think that there's a strong possibility that this is written around the time of Absalom's rebellion because there is a note of great personal tragedy to verses 7 through 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. So as David could reflect upon past victories, verses 1 through 6, he could testify that God was his sanctuary, the one who kept him safe. And as David anticipates present problems, verses 7 through 12, God is his sanctuary for he has no one else to ask for help. Where does he look for help? Only, right? What does he want? Verses 1 through 6. Only to be with the Lord. Whose help does he crave? Verses 7 through 12. Only the Lord's. 
Not bigger armies, not bigger bank accounts, but only the Lord's help. And there appears then in verse number 12 to be a very real-time threat. And again, past victories do not mean that there will never be future troubles. And so he begs God for mercy, verse number 7. And he reminds God in verse number 8 that when God has instructed him, he has responded quickly. I just don't know any other way to deal with verse number 8. It's like he's saying to God, help me. When, when you told me, when you, call, when you instructed me, I responded. Now I need you. And yet there is in verse number 9 the suggestion that David senses God's anger. God was never angry at David for fighting the Philistines. He was never angry at David for fighting Saul or Goliath. But he was clearly angry at David for Bathsheba and he was clearly angry at David for the census that he took. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, verses 1 through 6. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. And it is at this point, folks, that our attention transitioned into verse number 10, which is, right, what is is David getting at? Well, it's entirely possible that he is speaking rhetorically. That he is confident that the Lord would stay with him even if his parents did not. But it is also entirely possible that he is talking about the fact, and the, Greek, the Hebrew grammar would allow for this, that he is talking for the fact that his parents are dead. The, the Bible gives us every reason to believe that David's relationship with his parents was very good. And in fact, we know, the Bible tells us, that when David was on the run from Saul, he took special pains to protect his parents from Saul's anger. So there's no reason to think that there's, that there's any schism or rift in verse number 10. It is just this, that if my mom and dad are gone, or if my mom and dad were to abandon me, I know the Lord will not. I, you are my sanctuary. You are my sanctuary. And so, verse number 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Right? A straight path, one that is easy to navigate. And I don't, I'm not, I don't know that he's thinking simple, but right by, by having an unobstructed pathway so that he could serve the Lord, deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies. Because there are false witnesses Of all the things that David endured, here is yet another one. Those who told lies about him. False witnesses. In this, folks, right? David is a man who has spent his life dealing with God's enemies. But David is a man who is well acquainted with the fact that God stirs up enemies at times when he is angry. 
This is one of the ways in the Old Testament that he showed his anger to Israel was by stirring up an enemy and that enemy would give them problems. And so looking back upon the past, verses 1 through 6, David reflects upon the fact that God is his safe place. He has kept him safe. And anticipating present troubles, verses 7 through 12, David is crying out to the Lord because the Lord is his safe place. My sanctuary. There's no other place to go. And finally, verses 13 and 14, perhaps what we would call the chorus, the Lord is our sanctuary, and for the sake of alliteration, this is David's sermon. Verses 13 and 14 are his testimony and his encouragement to us. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Verse number 13 is a little bit of a challenge to us. And you'll notice if you have a King James Bible that our translators have not only translated the verse, but they've kind of interpreted it. So that it reads something like this. If I hadn't had the faith to see the goodness of the Lord. I probably wouldn't have endured to see it come to pass. Equally it might simply mean this kind of exclamation. I I can't believe I lived through all this. I can't believe that this has been the experience of my life. These never ending battles and hostilities and miraculous deliverances. But the testimony of the verse, folks, however we deal with it in translation, the testimony of the verse is this, that God acted on David's behalf in a good way through the course of his life. That God had been faithful to him. And that no element of the difficulty that David faced did he ever interpret as God being out to get him or not being on his side. God delivered him out of all of his troubles. And this is why verse number 14, what you must do, is what I had to do. Wait. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And if, you, if you'll look at it, you can, you can see that there's a little bit of an echo in verse number 14 to verse number 13. I had fainted. That's what the translators are trying to get across. I wouldn't have made it if I hadn't seen the goodness of the Lord, if I hadn't had faith to see it. And you need to wait so that you don't faint. Because God is faithful to deliver His people in their troubles. And God is faithful to strengthen their hearts when they are weak. This is the promise of the Lord. And so God is our sanctuary, both over our past and our present. And we should then worship Him and sing of Him and testify of Him. This is what the psalm does. Let's pray together tonight.
Father, again, I pray your ministry of your word to our hearts and lives. Father, you, you alone know the depths of the experiences of your people at this present moment. You know what they fear. You know what they dread. You know what they wonder. Encourage them from their past experiences that you are a tremendous sanctuary. Encourage them to not turn their back on their faith, but to turn even more so to you. May we all learn to wait, to wait patiently and faithfully for you, our sanctuary. I pray this for us in Christ's name. Amen.